0: Revelation chapter 3, as we've been working through now, we come to the uh, fourth church mentioned. Or is it the fifth? Let's see. We had Ephesus, and then we had uh, Smyrna, and then Pergamos of Thyatira. So yes, this is number five now. And we begin reading at verse 1, chapter 3 of the book of Revelation. Thank you, by the way. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent He who has an ear to hear, excuse me, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. Let's pray. Mm -hmm. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that it's true. We thank you, Lord, that uh, when you comfort, Lord, we're comforted. And even when you rebuke, Lord, uh, we are comforted because you have said as many as you love, you rebuke and chasten. So, Lord, we thank you for this epistle that you gave to the church in sardis through your servant john the apostle and we thank you you've had it written down and preserved through history and brought even into our language so that we might hear your word this day heavenly father we desire to know you correctly to love you and to obey you and to do those things that are good in your sight by your grace working in us lord through faith in your son jesus christ so we pray you'd help us today to really understand your word open our hearts and minds to your word and lord as only you can do please open your word to our hearts and minds so that we might truly behold wondrous things out of your law and i pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be pleasing before you in jesus christ's name we pray amen well, chapter three of Revelation. We like say church number five. I almost lost track there. How many churches we've gone through? Um, and so as we're looking at this, oh well, hello from Hawaii, from the Ores. I probably just embarrassed them all the way across, the, uh, halfway across the Pacific. So uh, hello. So here we are, it's, uh, Sardis. Sardis was a pretty important city in the ancient world. There's a lot going on there. Um, as far as this letter coming to them if you notice it's a letter of rebuke some interesting things about it this was a church that had forgotten who they were they were going on their reputation not on the reality of who they were if you know what that first verse is a rather startling statement he says i know your works that you have a name that you are alive but you are dead Now, they weren't completely dead, because he calls them to repentance. But he's letting them know, as far as their spiritual life was concerned, they were dead. You know, I kind of think it's more like as a ship, when we refer to it being dead in the water. It's not sunk, but it's not going anywhere. And this is kind of their condition. It's a letter of rebuke. The other thing that's interesting about this, these were people that had forgotten, as he says, because he calls them back to it. Uh, He says in uh, verse 3, Remember, therefore... How you have received. So he calls them to think back what it was like when they first heard the gospel. What, What did it do to them when they first really understood that Christ was the Savior offered to sinful men and women? And they believed in him and they repented. And he calls them to repentance. He says, Remember how you have received and heard. Remember what it was like. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. So he calls them to remember that. He tells them to hold fast. That's present tense. The memory part's past tense. Actually, it's interesting when he says to remember how you have received. That word "received" there in the Greek, the idea it's it's in the perfect tense. It's not just a past tense. Interesting thing about the perfect. You know, we talk about tenses having to do with actions in relationship to time. Mm-hmm. The perfect tense in Greek means that there was a past action. It still has present results. Very, very beautiful thing in the Greek language that God put in there uh, so he could communicate his word to us. So when he tells them, remember therefore how you have received, he's not saying they've lost everything yet. He says, remember the, the, the deposit of truth and of grace that was given to you, and it's still with you. You know, the faith once and for all delivered to the saints is how Jude explains it. So he says, remember, and therefore, how you have received, and the idea, and it's still among you, and heard. What happened when you first heard the gospel? And then he says, and repent. Now, repentance is not just sorrow for sin. The uh, Greek word means to have a change of mind. That means you look at things literally. It's after mind. Um, and the idea when you put those two words together in Greek, in meta noia, noia is mind, meta is after. Uh, Meta, Noah, and the idea is you look back and you reflect and you consider and you change as a result of it. The Hebrew is a much more pictographic language, and we've talked about this before, but I'll keep rem- reminding you because I need to hear it too. Hebrew is very pictographic, and so the Hebrew word for repentance, it's not like the Greek. You know, the Greeks are very cerebral sometimes, and God ordained that because we need to be intellectually built up and encouraged and, and, and transformed. But Hebrew, the word for repent is just shuv. Probably related to the word shove somewhere in English, but this doesn't mean that. It means to turn. It means to turn. And so, in the Hebrew idea, you know, you can see a picture of someone turning away from their sin and turning to God and turning to what is right. So he calls them to repent. This is in the New Testament. He uses the Greek word metanoia. But as you know, the New Testament is founded on the Old Testament, so the idea of what it meant in the Old Testament is not absent here. So he's telling them, you need to turn. You need to change directions. And and then then he warns them. But before we get to that, let's go back and look at some of the, the early things in this epistle. He writes to them and lets them know that he is the one who has the seven spirits of God. If you remember in John's Gospel, Jesus said, The flesh profits nothing, it is the spirit who quickens or makes alive. And then he said, The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. <coughs> that's when the uh, Pharisees and the people stumbled when Christ had said, Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And they thought, Well, this talking about cannibalism. And that's when he told them, he said, If that offends you, what are you going to do if you see... the the son of man ascend back to heaven what are you going to do if my body's no longer on earth that's what he told him it's the spirit that quickens or makes alive not the flesh the words that i speak to your spirit and life the idea was receive his word the spirit is the the life giver you know in the creed we refer to uh we we say we believe in the holy spirit the lord and what giver of life okay the holy spirit is the, the quickener this is important the church in uh um, uh, Sardis needed to hear that. They needed to know that Christ is the one who has the seven spirits, and we would probably want to say the sevenfold spirit. But the idea is the fullness of God's spirit. Um, he has that. He holds and the seven stars, that is the angels of the churches. And he says uh, he is the one that has those. Then on that basis, he tells them, I know your works. And then he doesn't so much talk about their works, but about their reputation. He tells him, you, you have a name, the word name comes up a lot in this epistle, this little short admonition to this church. Talks about names written in the book of life, names confessed in heaven. But in this case, this is a name that you are alive. They had a great reputation. Everybody probably talked about the church in Smyrna and said, excuse me, Sardis, and said, oh, it's a wonderful church. You know, Oh, everything's so wonderful there. It's just great. They got everything right. Oh, it's so wonderful. Christ looked and saw they were devoid of real spiritual life. And that's sad. There are churches like that today. And we need to pray, Lord, help us not to be a church like that. So he says, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Christ lets them know in his estimation, which is the correct one, they were not alive. Like I say, it could mean dead in the water could also mean that some of them weren't really converted (coughs) but because he calls them to repentance he's not throwing them away he's not saying you're reprobate and I want nothing to do with you he's saying we would say in more colloquial English you're pretty messed up but he lets them know I'm not going to abandon you here's the remedy and then he tells them what they need to do and you notice we would think he would first say repent but he tells them be watchful I love that. The name watchful in Greek is related to the name Gregory. Uh, Gregory is a a watcher, one who keeps watch over flocks, one who uh, watches out for things, a guard, someone who is on the tower looking. And he tells them, you need to watch. You need to look out. Now, one thing interesting about this church is he doesn't talk about inward congregational conflicts. Some of the other churches, what's been the problem? We had the Nicolaitans, we had Jezebel and Thyatira, you know, and so we have people, the, the, the synagogue of Satan coming from without, uh, the devil himself persecuting, it Doesn't there's no mention, there may have been, this was a time of persecution, but it's not mentioned. It seems like they were at peace with the world, everybody loved them, thought they were just Pichikino. Remember what Jesus said about, woe unto you and all men speak well of you, because that's what they did with the false prophets. And then he said, Blessed are you if men cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Not because you're out there doing bad things, but for Jesus' sake. He said, if they don't want anything to do with you or they slander you, he said, you're blessed. And so here he tells them, be watchful. Get your eyes open. You know, what's the worst thing a watchman can do? You know, any of you who have uh, ever had to stand watch at any point, you know, uh, falling asleep is the worst thing. And it's interesting because as some of the Puritans pointed out, in some senses, sleep is pretty close to death. Not that we actually physically die, but we're unaware and powerless as to what's going on around us. I always find that interesting, you know, particularly when you hear guys, you know, that are known, they have a reputation for being tough guys, you know, and you know nobody dares mess with this guy, is, you know, the bravest guy, he's the, you know, the meanest guy, the honorist guy, and I always think, keep him awake for 72 hours and just see how tough he is, Okay. You can't do it. You know, we have to crash down, shut down for anywhere from 5, 6, 7, or 8, 9, to 12 teenagers and college kids, you know, 20, 21, 22 hours per day for sleeping, okay? Um, although not all college kids do that. But the point is, is that we have to shut down. Well, if you're a, a watchman, you don't have that option. You have to stay awake. That's what he's telling them. You guys have fallen asleep. You're dead in all outward appearances, though not in reputation. You're snoozing away. I hope you'll stay awake for this sermon, okay? But uh, not physically here. uh, But you're snoozing away and you don't realize what danger you're in. The interesting thing about this, he doesn't say your danger is from the world, does he? He doesn't say your danger is from division and heresies and schisms within. He's telling him, see, your danger is from Jesus. Your danger is from the Lord Jesus. He said, if you don't wake up, if you don't watch, I'm going to come upon you as a thief, a thief in the night. But some say, well, that's a reference to the second coming. It could very well be. But also, you know, the Lord is coming at the last day of history. He comes many times, you know. If you read history and scripture, it's pretty clear. He came in 70 A.D., not physically, he did come in judgment. And he's come in judgment on a lot of nations and a lot of individuals. So here he warns them. So, But he tells them, before the warning, he gives them a sincere, gracious call. The one thing good about Jesus is that when he calls the dead forth, what happens? Lazarus, come forth. I love it. Someone once said, I wish I had remembered who said it because I thought it was pretty good. So the reason why he specifically named Lazarus, if Christ had said, come forth, all the dead that had ever died would have raised. On the last day he's going to do that. He said, the hour is coming when all that are in the graves will hear the voice of the Son of God and will come forth, and those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of, of condemnation or damnation. Some say, well, that sounds like work salvation. Beloved, if your sins are taken away, the only thing that's going to come up at the resurrection or what the Holy Spirit has done through you that's good. You give an account of yourself, but if you serve the Lord, and the Lord's work through you, your good works will be brought up, your sins are cast into the depths of the sea and won't be remembered against you. So Jesus, I don't believe in that passage is teaching works, salvation. He's teaching the resurrection of something. If you're trusting in Him and have the forgiveness of sins through His precious blood... You don't need to be afraid. But it's when they hear the voice of the Son of God, they're going to rise from the dead. Now, if you're alive when Jesus returns, if you've ever read First Thessalonians chapter 4, you know what happens, or 1 Corinthians 15. If you're alive at that moment, you'll be changed in the moment of an eye, or a twinkling of, of an eye in a moment, and the dead will be raised, and then we'll all be caught up to meet the Lord in the clouds, and Christ will then return in judgment on this world and we'll participate in the judgment Paul says do you not know we shall judge angels there will be a judgment but we'll be raised up incorruptible so we look forward to that that will be because we heard the word of God or we will hear it on that day and those who have heard the voice of the son of God right, by the way in John I think that's John uh, 6 when Jesus said they'll hear the voice of the son of God and come forth You know, all those who are in the graves before that Jesus said the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear here shall live and now is he's talking about present time so when the gospel is preached in the name of Jesus Christ and it's preached correctly from the Bible you know say, okay, "Well, what is the gospel that Christ died for sinners he died for our sins and was raised again on the third day that's the message and if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ remember as Paul said if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you shall be saved. Why? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Again, it's not work salvation, like, oh, I must confess Jesus in order to go to heaven. If you're born again, if the Holy Spirit has transformed you, you've heard the gospel, the message, that whoever believes in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved, you've begun to call upon Jesus, that's not of you, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Faith is a gift. The Bible says, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are saved. So you... You know, we don't need to beat ourselves up. We, but we do need to examine ourselves and look. Well, I have, I profess to be a Christian. Am I one in truth? <coughs> I say I'm alive in Christ. Other people will say that about me also. Is that true? Do I really love the Lord Jesus Christ? By the way, that's the hallmark of true salvation. Paul went so far as to say, If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. Reading if you're saved, you're going to love Jesus because he's the one that died for you. And you're going to love him. So here he calls them, and note he says, "Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain." So not everything was bad, not everything was gone. So he's calling them to strengthen the things which remain. That word "strengthen" it's interesting. It's where we get the word "stereo." Okay, uh, like how's that? Stereo is real strong sound. Okay, it's like coming at you from both directions, um, and the idea is it's really strong. That's how somebody coined that word, referring to sound and here he's saying, strengthen the things that remain. In other words, make it strong. Make it real. Which remain. Which are ready to die. He so said, you know, don't, don't neglect this. You're in a bad state. And then he tells them, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Sadly, I think they had. You know, the word perfect uh, can have with the idea of fulfilled. You know, everything's been done that needs to be done. Uh, and that's how I think they viewed themselves—that uh, their their works, in their eyes, their works were perfect before God. They had fulfilled everything. They were the people, so they were resting, as we would say, resting on their laurels. When they remembered back, they go, "Yeah, I was really zealous when I was first saved. Yeah, I really loved Jesus. I was reading my Bible. I was going to church every time I had opportunity to be around God's people." Man, you couldn't shut me up about Jesus. Wow, that was a long time ago, but I'm sure glad I'm okay now, even though I don't do those things very much. You know, it's like, uh, wait a minute, Jesus is saying, that, that's not healthy, that's not safe. That's what he's telling them. I've not found your works perfect before God. Now, we might look at things and say, oh, I did a good job. Other people might tell you you did a great job. Jesus tells the church in Sardis, you haven't fulfilled everything. You're not doing everything you should what needs to be done in you is not yet complete so you haven't yet arrived that's what he's telling them although they thought they had and other people were telling them that they had a name but they were alive so again he calls them now to remember stir up your memory how you have received and you still have it that deposit of truth the gospel is still among you is what he's telling them this is not an apostate church it's a very very sick church it's a dead church but death doesn't fare too well in the presence of Christ, does it? <laughs> okay, uh, And that's the hope. That's our hope. Or you might say, well, I don't know. You know maybe that this applies to me more than I want it to. Well, it's okay, because Jesus is the one that has the seven spirits of God, meaning the Holy Spirit. He's the one that quickens those that are dead. So you can call upon him. Because he says, and repent. So quit going the way you're going. Get rid of the self-complacency. Don't just try to cruise on reputation alone. All right? You know, it's not, not enough to say, well, I was baptized, so I guess I'm okay, or I used to do really well. No, that's, that's great. Remember that and go back to it. That's what he's saying. Now the warning. Therefore, if you will not watch. not that interesting. He doesn't say if you won't repent. You know, everything in Scripture is precise. Because if they're not watching, they're not going to be repenting. So he, he warns them. If you will not watch, get your eyes open. And if you don't, here's what's going to happen. I will come upon you as a thief. And you will not know what hour I will come upon you. Now I thought about this because generally, you know, we think of when a thief—like all of a sudden—you, you know, you wake up and there's a thief in the house. I don't think that's what he's saying. How do thieves come? Now we trust God. You know, Israel was told if they would obey God, come to the appointed place to worship Him three times in the year, He would guard their possessions, and they didn't have to worry if they were obeying Him. He told the Reubenites and the Gadites that were on the eastern side of the Jordan River, if they came over, they could leave their women and children. He would protect them. Nobody would attack them. I said, well, that's interesting, isn't it? God looked out for them. (coughs) We usually find that a thief has come when we weren't aware of it, and we find out afterward. I remember the sick feeling of years ago, opening my door where I had kept my bicycle and it wasn't there anymore and boy did that upset me had that happen too many times after that welcome to Shasta County right Um, so I I do have the at least the comfort of knowing that my bicycles that were stolen here are somewhere being enjoyed they've been painted black and someone wearing a t-shirt with rolled up cigarettes in their sleeve with tattoos, it was running down the road uh, on my bicycle. So it's gone. I didn't see it getting taken. Okay. And the point is, is that thieves come when you're not expecting it. And you find out afterwards. Excuse me. So he's telling them, "I'm going to come at an hour when you're not expecting it, and then you may look back and realize that what you didn't care about, that you needed." because you put a low value on it that was really genuinely important it's now gone and the idea also is he's going to come in judgment upon them so he warns them he says in verse 4 we have a few names even in Sardis who have not defiled their garments that's interesting there were people in the church in Sardis even though they were in a church that had a reputation to be alive that actually was dead excuse me (coughs) Their condition wasn't determined by the deadness of others. There were some that hadn't fallen, hadn't lost, hadn't cooled off. So you have a few names. They haven't defiled their garments. So here we see this idea of non-repentance. It's going to lead to bad living. A defiled garments means that you're, you've got dirt on you, you've got filth on you, you need to repent. And that's what he's telling. But there's, there were some in Sardis that were diligent, that were endeavoring to serve Christ, Not how he describes him. Again, you have a few names. He doesn't say that are reputed, you know, uh, for being great spiritual giants. He knew who they were. And whether they were praised by the world or even by other Christians, he knew the ones that really trusted in him. He knew the ones that were endeavoring to serve him. He says you have a few names even in Sardis who have not defiled their garments and they shall walk with me in white they're going to have fellowship with christ is what he's telling them those who are diligent in this regard are going to have a a fellowship that other people maybe don't even know about because it's not visible they're going to have a spiritual relationship with jesus here and in the future when he returns they will walk with him because these are people that really have come to trust him now he says they are worthy i think we have to Read the whole book of Revelation and the whole of the scriptures to understand. Well, they're worthy because the righteousness of Jesus Christ was imputed to them, not by their works, but by faith alone. God esteemed them as righteous by grace, giving them Jesus' righteousness. And on that basis, then they were given the gift of the Holy Spirit, who then begins to sanctify, and the Holy Spirit was at work in them. Somebody says they are worthy. He's not talking here about you know sinless perfection in this life he's saying these are people that have trusted me that have my righteousness and that are endeavoring to walk according to my word again by grace so he commends you know because it's interesting this verse is here Spurgeon points this out sometimes in some of his sermons when a rebuke goes forth the hard hearted just figure belongs to somebody else we were hearing a story years ago the preacher told his congregation you're all in danger of going to hell because you're too generous See, because every time you hear an application you give it to somebody else Okay? Uh, we need to like oh yeah he really told those guys you know? and so we need to get beyond that we need to take the rebukes the, the problem is those whose hearts are tender before the Lord they're, they're going to melt under these kind of rebukes you know, when they hear it, they, they fear God. They love Jesus. The idea that, that they're messing up, you might say, before the Lord. They're not being what they should be. They're not loving Jesus as they ought to. And that their service for him may not be acceptable because it's not really coming from faith. They'll melt under those kind of rebukes and they'll think those things. So Jesus lets them know, no, I know who fears me. I love that verse. In Scripture, where Paul said, "Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure." The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. First part—that's election, that's God's decree, that's divine sovereignty. The Lord knows those who are His. Sometimes we'll see a Sardis-type Christian, and we'll say, "Oh, everything's right with brother so and so or sister so and so." Lord knows, no, that's not the case. They have the profession, but it's not a profession of Christ. It's a profession of themselves. And others we might think, I don't know, man. That brother, you know, he had to go and apologize to a bunch of people, and he, you know, he messes up, and you know, he's when I saw him riding a bike, black, a black bicycle, and he had a tattoo. You know, that's somebody that really loves Jesus. Okay, <laughs> I listen. <laughs> The point is, is the Lord knows those who are His. We're, we're liable to make standards and say, "Oh well, if a person looks like that, he can't really be a Christian." Okay, um, you often wonder, I, could I go back in time and meet myself soon after I was converted? I would have said, "Dude, you need to pray more." Okay, um, sanctification is progressive. Okay, God delights in saving sinners. The Lord knows those who are His. He knows who really loves Him. So if you're a struggling Christian, you're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, He knows that. That's what He's telling Him. You have a few names in Sardis. But you can keep in mind, those few names, when they heard this rebuke, they thought, oh, woe is me, you know. Uh, they're like King Josiah. They tore their garments and said, well, woe is us. We've sinned against the Lord. So the Lord lets them know, no, you, there's a few there among you that, that I know who are mine. What a comfort that is! You know, when Christ comforts us, we're comforted. When He rebukes us, hopefully we take it to heart. The Bible says, "Rebuke a wise man, and he'll love you. Rebuke, rebuke a fool, and he'll hate you." So, you know, when we get rebuked by the Lord, we need to take it to heart and say, "Lord, I really do. I want to. I want to live pleasing to you. I want to be your man. I want to be your woman. I want to be a true Christian." You know, so Christ here comforts those that would perhaps melt under, or faint under this rebuke. So he says, no, those of you who really love me, you're going to walk with me in white. Because he says they're worthy. If you read Revelation, what what are all the saints saying in heaven, if you've read this book, what do they say? You alone are worthy to, to Christ and to the Father. You alone are worthy to receive all glory and honor. For you we're dead and you've redeemed us by your blood out of every tribe kindred and nation that's chapter 5 um, we, you know we don't confess our worthiness but Jesus is here telling his lambs that are struggling in the city of Sardis you're worthy and we know exactly if he's saying to heard that what they would have thought it's by the blood of Christ alone Lord I've not done anything remember what Jesus said After you've done all these things say we are unprofitable servants for we have only done that which was our duty to do so when he said they were worthy they probably weren't sure he was talking about them because they didn't necessarily feel all that worthy they were aware of their sin and they knew that i've got to trust in jesus he's my savior but christ says no you're worthy he's befriended them; he takes them up as it says in isaiah take the lambs up in his arms and that's what he does so if you're struggling And if you feel like man i think the lord's kind of rebuked well take courage repent start watching but notice here christ knows those that are his the lord knows them that are his or the new king james those who are his okay uh but what's the second part of that and let everyone that names the name of christ depart from iniquity now that's not a mystery we know what god's word says we know what the law teaches God has given it to us by the laws of the knowledge of sin and sin is the uh, want of conformity or transgression unto the law of God. Okay? Um, and so we pray for forgiveness. We recognize what sin is and that Christ alone is worthy. And we go to Him for forgiveness of our sins. He alone is worthy. But then note what Christ says. He calls them to victory. He says, He who overcomes... Literally, that's the victor, the one who is overcoming. It's present tense, by the way. It's a present tense participle. It's not saying, someday in the future when you might actually overcome. He's talking about people that are doing this on a daily basis. (coughs) You know, there's some people that are like, well, when I get older, I I plan on serving the Lord someday. You know, it's like, that's not it. You serve the Lord, you have a vocation right now, that's where you serve the Lord faithfully. You do the best job you can do. Uh, And you bear witness to the truth and let people see it in your life if you have a reputation for being alive well, go to Christ and make sure that's real and if it is, then live it and let people know what the source of that life is he who overcomes, know what he says shall be clothed in white garments well, read this that's the, the righteousness of Christ given to us he's letting them know you'll be able to stand before God your garments are not defiled if you're trusting in your own righteousness, you're wearing filthy rags when you come before God. That's what Isaiah 61 says. But he tells them here, uh, the one that's victorious, the one who is being victorious, literally. Ha Nikon is the you know the Nike in the, the the sneakers, or whatever kind of shoes they're called. Nike means victory in Greek. That's this is a verb formed off that. Okay? The one who is overcoming, the one who is being victorious then there is a future promise. Shall be clothed in white garments. They shall be because they already are, but there'll be a further manifestation of that. And then he says, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Now, someone said, ah, see, you can, you can lose your salvation because Jesus just said he could, he's going to blot your name out of the book of life if you don't. That's not what he said. He said, I will not. Blot out your name from the book of life, and in that um, that word blotting out and the negative that's with it, that's one of those. The, the word "ou" in Greek means not. The word may m long e may that also means not. When you put them together, "ou may that's the strongest way you can negate something. He's saying, I will in no way whatsoever erase your name blotted out from the book of life. Some have said this may be an allusion to the in Greek city-states where citizens were enrolled. There was a record kept. There was a book. And when someone died or was exiled, their name was stricken from the role of citizens. Jesus isn't <laughs> saying that he strikes names from the book of life in this. He's saying to the saints in Sardis who are victorious... There's no way whatsoever I'm going to do this to you. That's not going to happen. He lets them know that. In Revelation 17, 8, if we go a few chapters ahead, we can do that. Um, We find out why their name, they're told their name will not be stricken. He's talking about the mystery Babylon, the harlot mother of harlots and abominations of this great monstrosity that grows up you know, after Christ came and then you have something's wrong it seems like what was going on in Thyatira with Jezebel later you, you hear you have a, a woman as it says in verse 3 I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast which was full of names of blasphemy having seven heads and ten horns that generally understood to have some reference to kings uh, and their power the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls you can see why the reformers thought this clearly was a reference to the church of rome uh with their purple and their garments and all their 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 gold and silver and jewels i am persuaded they were correct on that and having in her hand a golden cup a chalice Full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication—a blasphemous thing it was. That's why we say, you know, the doctrine of the mass. When the priest says that, when he, uh, as the Church of Rome teaches that, when the priest says, you know, this is my body, in the Middle Ages, hoc est corpus meum. This is my body. Uh, the, the, the bread transforms into the body of Jesus, and when he says, this is my blood, which I think is hoc est meum. Uh, that it really becomes the physical blood of Jesus. And so you're eating Jesus physically, and you're drinking physically his blood. Utter blasphemy. That's why when Jesus said the spirit quickens, you know, when when they said, you're talking about eating your flesh? So what are you going to do if you see me ascend back to heaven? Obviously that's not what I'm saying. He says it's the spirit that quickens, it gives life. The words that I, he said the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. But this woman is seen with a a golden chalice in her hand, full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. That is her spiritual adultery. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the the abominations of the earth. This woman has a far-reaching worldwide empire. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints. It's a persecuting institution. And with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, John says, I marveled with great amazement. I was dumbstruck. There was a beauty about this harlot, but it was kind of a terrifying, frightening beauty. It's kind of like, you know, something that people can refer to a train accidents. you can't take your eyes off of it, but you sure wish you could. It's kind of like that. He sees this, this abomination. So he says, and I marveled with great amazement. But the angel said to me, the angel that was there, why do you marvel I will tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast that carries her which has the seven heads and the ten horns so he says well, I'll tell you what this is you don't need to be struck with amazement at this thing the beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition and those who dwell and this is the part for today and those who dwell on the earth will marvel one who's going to be marveling at this and get caught up in it. Those who dwell on the earth whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. If your name's in the book of life, it was written from the beginning. You know, I know the song, you know, there's a new name written down in glory and it's mine. Oh yes, it's mine. It's a nice song, but theologically not as precise as it needs to be. Okay? If you like it, I don't want to ruin it for you. Okay. Um, there's a record kept, so yeah, there's a thing. Okay, so and so got saved today, so that name probably got written there. as far as the book of life is concerned, your name's either in it or it isn't. Jesus doesn't erase names out of the book of life, and he tells the Sardis Christians, the, vict- the ones struggling. By the way, Victor isn't somebody that's made it. You know, he doesn't say uh, when he says, you know, to the one who overcomes or who is overcome, he doesn't say to the one who has overcome. That was the problem in Sardis. It says, to the one who is being victorious. When does that happen? In a battle. Okay, if you think, if you know your history, you know Wellington at Waterloo and Napoleon, I think that was about 1807 or somewhere around there. They weren't sure where where, where it was going to end. They were waiting for relief columns and other brigades to show up in battalions. And for a while, it looked like the French had it. You know, it looked like the, the British lines had been, or the Allies actually, was British, Prussians, and a few others, looked like their lines had been broken. And Napoleon was, hey, we're going to win, we're going to win. Then relief came and uh, from the one side. The Prussians showed up, okay? The Prussians are good fighters. And when they showed up on the side of the British, it took Napoleon's forces by surprise. But the British soldiers didn't go, oh, good, well. We've we've overcome now. We can you know let's go let's go have lunch, okay? Or British, let's go have tea or whatever. Anybody in England's watching this. I'm now in trouble with them probably. But they didn't just stop and say let's take a break now because we're we're victorious. No, victory is determined in the middle of a battle. And if you don't think you're in a fight, you need to start watching. That's what's going on in Sardis. They didn't realize where they were. What was going on? So he tells them, you need to watch the one who is victorious. Note that. Because he's, then he promises that the ones who are being victorious, that is they're dealing with their sins. They recognize that the devil is going to be putting temptation in front of them. They recognize that they themselves are prone to sin. Even if the devil's not around, our own hearts will lead us astray. They know this. They're going to Jesus. In the world, they're confessing him. That's pretty clear in this passage also. They're confessing the Lord Jesus Christ to others. How do we know that? Well, Jesus had said, whoever confesses me before men, I will confess their name before my Father and before his angels. That's what he says in the Gospels. Uh, That's in Matthew chapter 10 and Matthew chapter 12, I believe. Uh, So he tells them that, that if you confess me before men, I will confess you. Why? Because it shows what's in your heart. Out of the mouth, we confess Christ. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, you will be saved. Keep in mind, in the Roman Empire, and pretty much today, you confess Jesus Christ as Lord, in Rome it was a death sentence. Not just during the Empire, later on. If you said, Christ is the head of the church, that could cost you your life in the Middle Ages. In England, when Charles II usurped the power, if you were a covenanter, that's our Presbyterian forerunners, if you weren't willing to say that the King of England is the head of the church. The Covenanter said, oh, We're willing to say he's the head of the church on earth or in England. But Christ is the head of the church. Oh no, you have to just you can't equivocate. You have to say the king is head of the church. They say we're not going to say that. It was huge persecution referred to in history as the killing the killing time. That was just a couple of centuries ago. And today in certain areas, if you confess Jesus as Lord again, it's a death sentence. We've seen this. Persecution is there. What do we do in the light of that? We confess Christ. Our life is not bound in this world. We have hope in him. Note what he says. He says, I will not blot out his name from the book of life. There's no way whatsoever I will blot out his name. This is a a statement of assurance and strength and confidence for a struggling believer in the middle of a battle. Jesus is saying, by this word... The same thing that's said in hebrews i will never leave you nor forsake you you don't need to worry that if you stumble i'm going to throw you away i'm never going to erase your name out of the book of life you're safe that's what he's telling them and i will confess his name before my father and before his angels again why do we what's the basis of that go back to the gospels the ones who confess christ he will confess that that's not it's not a works thing it's not like well we'll do that so jesus is forced to confess our name in him no if you love jesus you're going to talk about it you know <clears throat> if you have a hobby or you have something you love someone that you love I've talked about this plenty of times you're going to talk about it because what's in your heart out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks okay so you got to be careful with grandparents you say how are your grandchildren they're like oh you want to sit down you know because they're going to tell you okay uh, with a lot of parents, you know, How are your children? They're, well, let me tell you, because they they love them. They want to they want to tell you about it. Okay, um, we talk about the things that we love. A person that's confessing Jesus is someone who loves Jesus. A person who Jesus is confessing is someone that Jesus loves. Isn't that pretty awesome? Remember the, the high priest in, in Israel? What do he have over his breast, over his heart? you had the breastplate and on it were 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel that was symbolic a representation of the people of God you're on Jesus' heart and it doesn't mean you've got to become a super saint you know and go out and preach on street corners in your daily life you know someone you do something for someone they go thank you it doesn't hurt to say you're welcome I just want you to know though, it's because of Jesus is what he did for me and they will go what are you talking about Maybe you get an opportunity to tell them, well, you know, the Lord Jesus saved me, and I just want you to know he changed my heart, and that's why I'm happy to help you. And he'll help you too. You may get the chance to talk to him a whole lot. Might be someone say, Tell me more. Might be someone who goes, Oh, thank you, and not want to hear anymore. That's on them. But if you love Jesus, you're going to talk about him. What is Jesus talking about in heaven? <coughs> those that love him, those who he loves. Because we're on his heart. So that's what he tells him here. What a word of assurance and confidence for those struggling believers in Sardis. And then we have that final exhortation. He who has an ear. Not everyone can receive this. Only those who have the ability. You know, Jesus said in the Gospels, he that has an ear, let him hear. Uh, or he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. In this context, He who has an ear, let him hear. And again, remember that's an imperative. He must hear this. This is not suggestion. This is imperative instruction. He who has an ear, he must hear what the Spirit is saying to the, no, plural, churches. It has to do with the seven churches in Asia Minor. has to do with the churches and the church throughout history. Right down to Grace Presbyterian Church today, or, or anybody that's listening, whatever church you're attending or part of. The churches are to hear what Christ says. Why? Why? Christ brings life to the dead by his word when they rolled the, the stone away Lazarus's tomb Jesus didn't just stand there and, you know and I don't know what said. go check the sundial or let's see how long this takes he spoke when he, in the gospels he said he uh, who hears my word and believes on him who sent me has everlasting life present tense jesus his word brings life the words that i speak unto you they are life so we hear that word of the gospel and the holy spirit's working in our heart and we say yes lord yes save me i do believe in you i do trust you make me to be what you want me to be lord save me i pray from my sins and from my guilt and my shame he'll do it we need to listen to what he's saying faith comes by hearing hearing by the word of god If the Lord's speaking to you today, my encouragement to you is call on the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't worry what other people think. Whatever your reputation is, good or bad, go to Jesus. He doesn't say, first make sure the world's praising you before you come to me. He says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. What does he say? I will give you rest. So let's go to Jesus in our prayers and give him thanks and ask him to work in us. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and your kindness. We thank you for this letter to the church in Sardis. We thank you, Lord, uh, in history, Lord, we hear later of good things in that city. Lord, people that loved you and that honored you uh, in the next century, Lord, your word took effect. We pray your word would take effect in us today. Lord, we thank you. We just ask you to forgive us our sins, cleanse our hearts, help us to love each other as you've called us to do, and to love you above all else. And Lord, we pray you would put your word in our hearts and minds, Lord, that the words that are given in Scripture would would enter into us, that you'd write them in our hearts and minds according to your promise, that you'd fill us with love for you to the point that it outflows and overflows in our speech and in our actions in our thoughts. And Father, this we ask in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Evet